Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. Hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving out there. I know we did in our house, and we got a great show for everybody tonight. Kurt Stoll of Restless is our first guest. We were supposed to have Dave Overkill of Destructor, but Dave got called away at the last minute on a trip he had to take this weekend, and he can't get back in time. He called me a couple hours ago to let me know, so we're going to reschedule that. He'll be on on the 10th of December, but stepping in the Sasquatch, Dennis Both of Aggression. They have a brand new record coming out next week. I think this is the first time in the 15 years I'm doing the show that we had the same guest on twice in one year. We actually started out the year with Dennis as our guest, I think, on the first or second show of the year when they had a new record out then. So two records in a year's time. Aggression has been really, really busy. I guess Maskin must be paying them a good amount of money to keep writing music. But it's always a pleasure to talk to Dennis. We'll have him on in the second half of the show. Right there, Faithful Breath. Gold and Glory, absolutely love those guys. I wish they would get back together and put out some more new music. We did get Heavy Load back, so I guess, you know, we can't complain. And talking to Heavy Load, I saw uh, Eddie Malm, who was the singer of the band from like 78 to 85. And I had Eddie on the show when he was promoting the Eddie Malm band. Uh, he's in the hospital right now, and he took a picture. I was like, damn, he really looks old. I mean, he looks really old. But he was only born in the mid-50s, I mean, so... I mean, you know, 10, 12 years younger than me, uh, but he, it's really showing him. He must be really sick, so I wish him the best of luck and good health. All right, we're going to keep the music flowing here for the next half hour or so until we talk to Kurt. How about we do some uh, Sweet Savage? I can't remember the last time I played them on the show. Prospect of Greed. <laughs>
From the beginning of time, the powers of good and evil have been battling for our souls. A war stretching into eternity, fought between heaven and hell. Light versus dark. Is this a myth or is it true? The oldest tale on earth, the prophecy of hell, fire, and damnation. Thank you.
Man, brand new sax and Hellfire and Damnation. This album is absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, I've been a big fan of saxes since the very beginning, and I thought the last couple albums were pretty good. I mean, they've put out four records in the last four years. Granted, two of them were cover records, Inspirations and More Inspirations, but, I mean, you know, at the age that, you know, Biff is, and still putting out records, then he does his solo stuff on the side. Pretty impressive, I have to say, but this is a great-sounding record. I don't know if... We'll have Biff on the show. The record is set to come out in January on Silver Line Music. We'll have Biff on the show again in January uh, when he does press for the record. Uh, but I, I want to find out like how involved Brian Tatler was. Because, you know, Brian took over for Paul Quinn last year when he left the band. And, I, you know, I was saying, like, on stage, you know, I could see Brian going out there playing his songs. They both come from the same era. You know, they play the same style of music. So I knew it would work out. But I wonder how involved he was going to be in the songwriting process. And in a way, I was like, you know, if he wrote like he did with the old Diamond and stuff, like, that would be pretty good. But the last couple of Diamond records kind of sucked. So I don't know where the writing is coming from now without Paul being in the band. Is it all on Doug Scarrett right now? I have no idea. But this is a solid record. And you know what's funny? I think it was about seven, maybe eight years ago, uh, Saxon was doing a press day in Manhattan. Uh, I'm trying to remember the record that they were working. I think it was Battering Ram. It was probably Battering Ram around 2015. So I went there to go do an in-person interview with Biff and Doug. And, you know, Tommy, uh, one-time, part-time co-host and my best friend, the biggest Saxon fan there was like, Mike, I want to go with you. I want to meet the guys and, you know, hang out. I was like, all right. So I took Tommy with me. We go to the hotel. And usually when you do, when you interview a band on a press stage, it's usually in the hotel room. It's you and the band member, and then usually the press person sits in to kind of like, you know, correct things if the band's not saying what they want them to say from the record. Uh, but this time they did it like in a room off the lobby next to the bar. It was like a private room, but... All you could hear was the talking going on outside in the bar and in the lobby. It was really hard to do an interview. And as Biff and I are trying to talk and record this interview, Tommy's sitting next to me with Doug Scarrett, and he's, and he's talking to Doug about, like, you know, 101 other things besides the band and what's going on. And you can see Biff was getting pissed off, and they were getting louder and louder to him. And Biff scolded the both of them like he was a school mom. And I never forget that. And he looked at me, and he started smirking. And the two of them just shut up after that. And <laughs> I didn't say a word for the next hour that we were there talking and doing the interview. It was the funniest thing ever, but a bunch of great guys, and I, I can't wait to talk to them. Uh, all right, let me see. We got a lot of news to get to, but we'll save that till after the first interview is over. How about, let me see what we got here. We got about seven minutes left. I can squeeze two more songs in before we talk to Kurt. How about we do a little Hades? Since we're going to New Jersey, may as well start there. Widow's Might. <laughs>
man, that stuff is so good. Restless to power. We're going to wait a minute or two for Kurt to call in. We'll get that interview going. We'll talk to Dennis Barth from Aggression in the second half of the show. Uh, we got a few things we got to talk about today. Uh, let me see. Maybe we get started on one of them before Kurt calls in. Life After Death Festival in Mexico canceled. Three-day festival. There must have been about 70 bands on this. But, I mean, from Lita Ford to Halloween, you name it, they were all on there. And uh, I guess like a week before the festival, they found out that they have nowhere to hold the festival. I couldn't really make out the press releases. They were all in Spanish, so I couldn't figure them out. I couldn't even get them translated. I didn't see what was going on. But from some of the comments, what it looks like is they didn't get the permit to hold the festival on the grounds that they were supposed to hold it on. Now, you think that would have been done first. But this is what happens when Beavis and Butthead put on a concert. I mean, you know, it's great to be a fan of metal, but, you know, to become a promoter overnight... And then they do a three-day festival with all these major-name plays on there. Alice Cooper was on the bill. Saxon was on the bill. My girl Doro was on the bill, who, by the way, will be on the show next Sunday night. I can't wait to talk to Doro. You know, she's one of my favorites. But I'm just saying, you know, this is crazy. All right, we got Kurt calling in, so let's do this interview, and we'll get back to that a little later. Kurt, this is Mike. You're on the air live. How are you? Hey, Mike. How you doing? Great. I'm talking to you. I'm doing fantastic. Good. I, I have it's to tell you, I, I just played something off the, the the 45 from back in the day. Still have my original copy of that, and such a big fan all these years. I, I'm glad that you know things are happening for the band again in a little bit. Of, you know, on a compilation record, you're in a book. You know, things that didn't happen 40 years ago are happening now. I know it's crazy. You think <laughs> you know you put this stuff out there, and and uh, things happen. You know. That's amazing. I mean, for people that don't know yeah. the history of the band, I mean, it kind of goes back to the early 80s, 82, 83, in that area, I guess. Yes, 83. Yeah, probably early 83, yeah. 83. And you guys were all teenagers, like most of us were at the, t- at the time. You know, you're a bunch of kids <laughs> who wanted to start a band. Yeah. How did it all That's come about? right. So uh, how it came about was um, living down in Rivervale, New Jersey, um, I was, uh, I had a friend, um, or I should say an acquaintance that I knew that lived right down the street from me. Uh, his name is Jim Cardinale and, uh, he played guitar. He and I, um, just kind of got together. He lived about eight houses down the street from me. And, uh, you know, we figured, Hey, let's do a little jamming. And before you know it, we were writing some tunes together and, uh, we started looking for, for other members and he knew of, uh, a drummer uh, who was still in high school. At that point, I was out of high school, um, and uh, Jim was still still in high school. And uh, he said, "You know, hey, I know I know this really great drummer. Uh, his name is Kevin." I said, "All right, well, let's go. You know, check him out." So one day, I, I decided to visit back in my old high school, and um, and of course, <laughs> they loved seeing seeing me there with my long hair and you know <laughs> uh, everything. All right. Um, walk into the lunchroom and uh, I see Kevin's having a lunch and uh, he didn't know me at all. Um, and I, I, I walk in, I sit down, I sat right next to him and he goes, uh, he just kind of felt nervous, didn't know what to say. And uh, I said, hey, Kevin, yeah, I heard you you play drums and you're pretty good. He's like, yeah, you know, I play. So, you know, we, we started talking from there and um uh, you know, three of us started jamming, and we we put some some pretty good tunes together. And uh, at that point, we really didn't have a bass player, so we were were just you know writing, playing, jamming as much as we possibly could, and um, you know just trying to put some stuff out there. 
we recorded uh, a bunch of tunes and we needed somebody to play bass. So we, uh, we enlisted um, the help of Lou Charlo, who was at the time the bass player of the band Hades. Um, I was always good friends with Dan Lorenzo and, uh, uh, you know, back in the day, and I think you probably, you've probably heard of Hades. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, that's sort of how it, 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 it start all kind of started and came together and, and, uh, you know, we recorded, you know. That's fantastic. I didn't know Lou played bass on, on, on that early stuff. Cause you know, after Hades, Lou also went on to Attacker for a while, the band Attack out in New Jersey. That's right. That's right. So he, yeah, um, Lou played on actually a 45 that you're talking about. And I'm, that's cool that you still have it. That's awesome. There's only 500 copies of those. So hold on to it. <laughs> I, I intend to. I've, I've had it all these years. <laughs> Why give it up now? Nice. Very, very cool. <laughs> but, you know, uh, yeah, Lou is actually the bass player on the, on the 45. Um, and so on both of those tunes. That's great. And, you know, people don't realize 1983, I mean, New Jersey was such a great state for heavy metal and hard rock. I mean, it still is up until today. And But 83, the whole scene was just kind of like taking off. Metallica's debut record came out. Slayer had their record out. You know, Judas Priest were riding high. Scorpions, all these bands were getting big. Ozzy, you know, had, had his albums out. But the underground scene was relatively new and relatively small still at that point in time. And most of us came into it from like the new wave of British heavy metal and Judas Priest and bands like Iron Maiden and stuff that we heard back then. So, I mean, was it hard to find enough guys to put a band together in your area of New Jersey back then? Yeah, I mean, I think it was. I mean, th- there were uh, definitely a good amount of cover metal bands playing in and around the area at that time. But to try to find the right mix of guys that, you know, that's that, like you said, were kind of into metal. Because a lot of people were still into um, a lot of 70s rock, which I do love, um, you know, at the time. But they weren't, they didn't really kind of make that crossover from, that sort of commercial 70s kind of bluesy, you know, like radio yeah. rock to metal yet. And I felt like, you know, hey, we, we were sort of onto something. And, um, you know, trying to, trying to find the, the right mix of those guys was definitely a little difficult. Like I said, we could go out to bars, uh, you know, of course, you know, we looked a little older, so we could kind of sneak in at the time. You know, it was much more difficult that time. I mean, much easier at that time to, to be able to kind of get into bars and see bands and, and stuff than it is now. It's a little more difficult. But, um, yeah, you know, so we, we looked up to a lot of the, the the local bands that were cover bands at the time saying, oh, man, it would be very cool if we could do this type of thing. But we knew that we really wanted to kind of focus on what we were writing and then throw sort of a you know a cover song in here and there when 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 we did start playing out. You know, today people listen to the restless music and say, you know what, there's like a million bands that sound like that and put music out like that over the last four decades. But in 1983, I mean, for a bunch of teenagers to get together, form a band, and then try to do something that wasn't being done before them, you know, you guys are kind of taking music to the next level. So how did it come about where you decided how the band was going to sound? Because you really didn't sound like anybody else at the time. I appreciate that. Now, you know, so I, I don't think that we didn't really set out to sound like anything in particular we were just doing what we felt sounded good sounded heavy sounded uh you know just kind of you know be right into right in your face kind of kind of music 
And I, I agree. Um, there wasn't a lot of sort of that really heavy rock, you know, and I guess we would, you know, we call it metal, of course, <clears throat> at the time. So we were just kind of doing what we felt was good. You know, maybe it was a little angst and maybe it was a little bit of, you know, just again, what, what felt good, what felt right. And, um, you know, I guess we've sort of experimented on different things, you know, I think we, we, we all had sort of a, a basic idea of how to play our instruments. Um, and you know, it, 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 it just sort of developed from there. Yeah, you know, most bands, they get together, they, they put out a demo tape, they try to shop it around, you know, get interest in the band. Tape trading was a big thing back in the 80s, so that's how a lot of bands got their music heard from other people all over the country, because there was very few magazines or fanzines. We had Kerrang! and the Metal Forces came along a little later. And that's the way things really kind of happen for a lot of bands. But you guys went in there and you know, we're going to record music and we're going to put a, you know, put a record out on our own, which was, you know, kind of hard to do back then. It's, you know, today it's easy to put anything out with the internet and, you know, the technology we have. But not so easy back then. Yeah. Now you think on top of that, it mostly is a bunch of kids from high school just graduating high school. So you kind of have to take on, like, the business part of the band and the band. And most kids just want to get into a band to drink, party, have fun, and meet girls. You know, let's be honest. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it. It was it was all of that, for sure. Um, you know, I I I I started playing um, probably I was thirteen, fourteen years old, and <clears throat> I remember distinctly uh, there was a um, uh, a band uh, seventh grade. I was playing like something called like a pop show, and uh, the guitar player that was in the band up there was was you know it was kind of like you know just a regular guy you didn't think much of him but when he got up on stage he was great played great and i was like i thought to myself i want to do that like i i want that same kind of feeling that you know you could see the kids just kind of getting into it so i, I bought a you know guitar a, a cheap Les paul copy at a local record store and learned it as best as i could i mean i was playing guitar seven, eight hours a day, every day for, you know, a couple of years. And, you know, I'd show my parents crazy, I'm sure, and, you know, <laughs> but, you know, it got better and better, you get better and better. And, you know, we, we, uh, um, you know, we, we developed this sound and, uh, you know, it's, um, like, I think what, like you said, um, you know, it was kind of new, um, to that, you know, time period. And, and I, and I feel like, you know, we had we had some opportunities. Um, we knew some people, um, you know, playing in, in maybe some slightly bigger bands, um, just just by chance. Not not we weren't friends with them initially, um, and you know they're like, well, you know, why don't you you know try putting something out on your own? So we did. You know, that's we, we what we did. We we decided to put this together. We were kind of focused on, you know, like I said, writing our own stuff you know, producing our own stuff. And I didn't know at the time that it would be something that I would do, you know, for a good portion of my life. So, yeah. That's great. And you're talking about Hades early. You know, Dan Lorenzo, an amazing guitar player. They were kind of young at the time yeah. also. They were only around maybe a year or two before you guys were getting going. Yeah, uh, I think I remember, that's right. Um, I met Dan late, Sometime in 79, and I remember he was using the slogan, Hades in the 80s, and it was just at, you know, just kind of throwing it out there, you know, just kind of 
to, to promote his band. You know, at the time, like I said, you know, they were they were sort of my high school band. Um, so yeah, it's just a couple of years before we did. And Dan was a you know as a friend and uh, you know guitar player was sort of a little bit of an influence on me, not necessarily playing wise, but just playing music and playing you know metal and and uh, being around uh, you know sort of that that local local scene in New Jersey. Yeah. Well, you know, the 45, you guys put it out on your own. You know, you're shopping it around and you're going to record stores with it, selling it at the shows, and anybody can get your hands on it, putting ads in papers and stuff like that. How, yeah. how well did it do at the time? I mean, because back then people were just gobbling up anything that they could. I mean, were you getting a pretty good response from the 45? Yeah, actually, we got excellent response. Um, you know, locally, it's funny because we, you know, you start off as, you know, a little high school band. And you played these little, you know, kind of pop shows and talent shows and, and um, uh, you know, start playing in the local bars. And then you, you do put something out like that. And it's sort of, you know, by design for us to a degree, it took us to another level. You know, people said, oh, wow, you have a 45, you know, because at the time, you know, CDs hadn't come out yet. It was these cassettes, you know, a little demo tape or, you know, if you have a record. Like wow, that's pretty cool. You know, you must be professional. You know, yeah. Who do they know, right? But at the same time, <laughs> yeah. So we um we sold them locally, but really where it came from, uh, more most of the sales were through the mail. Um, with you know, with the help of fanzines like Sledgehammer Press, and we were in Kerrang magazine. We got you know we were reviewed in there, and so those those just those couple of, of, of magazines or, or articles that we got that were excellent reviews um, were, were so helpful. So, and it's funny, you know, you don't think at times that, you know, a small fanzine would have such a great following, but there are, they're out there and, or they were, you know, at the time. And um, before you know it, um, people were, you know, writing in, sending a check and, and, uh, you know, I was sending out 45 to all over the world. So that was kind of cool. That felt like, that felt pretty pretty awesome at the time. I'm sure it did. No, but you're right. The fanzines were really all we had in the underground scene. So more people bought them than people really imagined or thought about back then. Or they bought them and they shared them with their friends and they told people about it. That's how things happened back then. That was how the whole scene took off. And when you go back to the 45, it comes out now, you're selling them, you're playing shows. I mean, how long does it go on before it comes to an end? Well, so Restless, uh, I guess we, let's see, it was a couple of years. So um, probably two, two to three years, we, we used the name from like sometime in 83. We actually started out with the name Danger, and then we decided, nah, it's not really, wasn't really a thing for us. Um, and then we, you know, we came about um, the name Restless, because that's sort of what we were. Uh I want to say we were Russell's and Wild kids, you know. Yeah. And at the time, um, when I was drawing up the logo for it, I couldn't fit the T in to make it look good. Like I, <laughs> it never looked right. And I'm like, you know what? A lot of people just say restless anyway. They don't really pronounce the T in there. So I'm like, why don't we just do something a little stupid? You know, it's basically what happened. And take the T out of there. And then we came up with this, you know, that logo. So, um, and, and that name and stuck, and I think that grabbed people's 
attention a little bit, the misspelling of it, purposely, of course. Um, for for two to three years, we, we, we were restless, and we developed into a different style of music, and then we sort of, so we figured at the time that maybe we would change our name, and then we, we sort of went into like a, a, you know, a glam phase, which, you know, certainly had, uh, you know, its merits. Um, but, you know, I think, I think sort of in hindsight, I, you know, I kind of wish we had stuck to what we were doing. And I think we would have continued to grow and grow. You know, people make choices. You do different things. You do try different styles of music or, or you know, how you look or how you dress. And, and uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. That's true. By the mid-80s, I mean, hair metal was just exploding. You know, between Motley Crue, Guns yeah. N' Roses, Warrant, Poison, all the, that was the flavor of, at the time. And I guess if you're going to be in a band that you're going to be in music and you want to make that your thing where you can make it, you kind of want to go with what's happening to stay relevant. But I, I, towards the end of, like, you know, the Restless era of the band, I mean, you were singing in the beginning, uh, uh, but then Paul Smith came in at some point in time from who was with Hades in the beginning. That's right. So... um when we when we first set out, we really wanted to be a five piece band, um, and of course we ended up being a four piece. Um, and I'll you know I'll tell you more about you know who joined with bass you know playing bass um, a little bit you know a little bit after Lou uh, you know had recorded with. But we had set out to be a five piece band. I never really wanted to necessarily be the lead singer. I wanted to play guitar, maybe sing some backups, and have that be you know, the option uh, for me. Uh, I felt like I really wanted to focus on that. We were, Jim and I were pretty good dual combo guitar guitar players. Um, and some of the reviews had actually mentioned that, so that's kind of cool. Um, and so when we had the opportunity um, to ask Paul to come sing with us, um, you know, he said absolutely. He wanted to, he kind of wanted to do it. And we had planned on going into the studio to do some stuff with him, and then things kind of changed. Paul had had decided to change directions, and I believe he went into the military at the time. So he sort of left music outright in general, um, and so we were back to, you know, this four-piece, and looking for some kind of identity that wasn't exactly, you know, some of the songs that we were writing weren't exactly the same style as, you know, what we had done um, with Restless for the, you know, the eight or nine songs that we had recorded. I may have been 10 songs at that point under the Restless name. Um, and, uh, you know, so it just, it, it sort of fizzled out from there. Yeah, I know, I know you did record a lot more songs, and we, you know, they were released a couple of years ago. You put them out digitally. We'll talk about that a little later on when we get to that point. But yeah. when 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 Restless did come to an end, I mean, the name at least, you know, because you guys did carry on as Dirty Blonde, and then a thousand times, a little bit after that. Right. I mean, did any of the music that was being worked on as Restless carry over to those other name bands? Maybe just changed up in style to fit in what with what you were doing. Yeah, I mean, we still played, you know, those Restless songs. Um, you know, maybe slightly, slightly different. Cause, you know, when you when you add when you add a member or change a member, your style's going to change a little bit. 
um, you know, even if you want it to be exactly the same, I don't think it can, can necessarily be exactly the same or, you know, unless you want to be a copy of what you were. And I don't think that we wanted to do that. I think we wanted to continue to grow and develop. And so, yes, some of those songs stuck. And, you know, I love those songs to this day. We have, I do have a couple of alternative recordings of um, a few songs that were put out um, on that, on that, uh, the song, on the, on the digital um, CD that came out a couple of years ago. But, but Dirty Blondes, I guess, didn't last too long either before it turned into a thousand times, right? Uh, Dirty Blondes lasted, I want to say, about two years, two, two to two and a half years. Um, yes, that's, that's, yeah. So a little, maybe a little bit shorter of a time than Restless did, somewhere in the same range, though. So when you think about it, I mean, the band really played out for almost the entire 80s. When did the whole thing just come to an end? Was it like when metal just kind of died off in the 90s? Um, yes, but that's not the reason. I think more so it was the reason of, you know, we were getting older, we were changing. Not that we were old in any way, of course, but we were we were changing. We were figuring, hey, we got to make some money, you know, in our own lives, you know, to, to, to survive. So... We decided at that point, um, I guess it was 90, like late 91, maybe 92, that it just sort of, it changed. Things things went in different directions. Um, I I guess more or less being sort of, I don't want to say the, the leader of the band, but, you know, maybe the one that sort of constructed certain things throughout that period decided to do not do that anymore. And I think when that happened, um, the guys that were in the band at the time, you know, started doing their own thing. And they maybe took a little bit of a break and then started doing their own thing, playing some music. I, like I said, I gave it, gave it a break, started to do some other types of music. And then probably, and that lasted for about a year or so, maybe two. And then for about five years, I didn't do anything in music at all. Just sort of took a break completely from it. I was focusing on uh, more of my skill, which I had gone to culinary school in um, 1992, um, and so I was focusing on that on that creative side of my life. Very. Nice. I love that you went to culinary school. I went to culinary school myself when I got out of high school in '85. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. Culinary nice. Institute of America, upstate New York. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> yeah, that was that was too long for me. You. You probably, you know, had a much, um, much longer uh, education in, in culinary than I did. I think yours was like either a two or four year, I think, probably plan. Is that right? Yeah, it was two years over there. Then I spent another year in pastry school because I wanted to be a pastry chef. And then I got sick and had to get a real job because I couldn't make any money doing, couldn't make any money doing that back then. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> But I went crazy. to the French Culinary Institute, and I did, and it was a uh, very intense um, six to nine month course. Uh, they um, to to be able to get accepted to that school, yeah, you need to have some 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 culinary background. Um, and I and I did. I I you know had been cooking for um, a good amount of time. Decided to go there, and uh, you know that's a that's a, that's a different show. Yeah, absolutely. When I do my cooking show, we'll go on. We'll talk about that. <laughs> you know, Perfect. I after love it. after like ten years of putting your heart and soul to you know restless and dirty blonde and a thousand times, 
And like, is it easy to kind of like just walk away from it, or do you have to keep thinking about it, saying, you know, I put so much time and effort into this, and we we invested money and we did this, and but I have to leave it behind now because I have to move on to other things, or do you, or is it just kind of easy at that point to say, you know what, we we gave it our all, it didn't happen, and now it's time, you know, to focus on the next part of my life. I think it was a mix of both. So the you know, what was going on internally within the band at that time wasn't. You know, it, it just wasn't it wasn't working anymore. I think you know, some of the one one particular member at the time was just it was a little more difficult to work together, um, and and so, um, and and then you know we had a good relationship, so it wasn't that it was just a little harder to do things the way that we had been doing them, and maybe that had a little bit with the times changing. Maybe it had a little bit to do with. Um, what I wanted to do versus what he wanted to do, and 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 then it it sort of just didn't happen anymore. Sort of just didn't work. So it wasn't necessarily easy. It wasn't um, it wasn't like you know, hey, we're not doing this anymore. I'm sick of you. That type of thing. It was just it just stopped. And I think you know, in my mind, I felt like I'm going to do this again. I'm gonna, it's going to come back. I just need a little bit of break from what we were doing, sort of regroup, rethink, and, you know, restyle maybe over time. So during that time when I was, you know, when I was cooking and not really necessarily paying too much attention to what we had been doing or what I want to do in the, in the future, I was still just playing, kind of playing guitar on my own um, and then kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. Um, and then that led me into the next phase of music in around in and around '97, um, which I you know played in a completely different style of music, put out a couple of CDs uh, in a in a different band. So, um, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, it was a little bit of both. I think you know, um, happy to happy to move on, and you know, kind of bummed that we did. You know, we tried really hard, didn't happen this time, but you know. We'll get them another time. That's sort of the feeling that I had. Sure. Do you think there could there or would have there been anything that happened in the '80s that could have kept Roses together? I mean, maybe a record deal. Were you shopping the, the music around for a record deal? Was there anything that could have changed the course of the band at that time to take it to the next level, or was it just kind of moving in the wrong direction the whole time? No, I think I think you know we were close um, a few different times. Um, we had opportunities. Um, and it felt like, and I'm sure many, many uh, musicians, artists, bands feel the same exact way is that you're really close. You're playing a lot of places. You have playing to pretty decent sized crowds. People are liking it. You're getting good reviews. Um, and everything's moving in the right direction. Then, you know, something happens where somebody wants to do something different. And that kind of sets you back a little bit. And just when you think you're going to, you know, maybe break it open with, you know, our, our, our 45 doing really well. And then getting, like I said, getting these reviews, we had, um, somebody to come listen to us from, I don't even remember what record label at the time to come kind of check us out. And they liked us, but it was not, I think it was like, but hang on, we want to see this or we want to see that. And then, um, at the time, with Restless, when Jim Cardinale, my friend who, you know, I started playing guitar with, 
early on in the band got an opportunity to play with another band called uh, I think they were called Hellion and he 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 took it and I don't blame him I mean that was you know he they were gonna put out an album I think they were signed to you know a smaller maybe boutique label at the time I'm not exactly sure it was a long time ago now but he um you know that kind of set us back so um you know we had to look for another guitar player and the guitar player that replaced Jim um, was um, a guy named Jeff McElane, who was an awesome guitar player and still is to this day. He's doing great, doing great things um, on his own. He's got a fantastic career on his own in music, which is great. Um, and, you know, we we did that for a while within Restless. He had a very different style than what we were doing. So, you know, again, it took us in a, in a direction maybe that we weren't necessarily, I don't, I wouldn't say that we were uh, happy to go into, but, uh, or, or unhappy to go into, but just a different direction. Um, and, you know, that worked for a little while. And then I think once again, we came up to a point where um, he wasn't, it wasn't working. We kind of wanted to do something different. He wanted to do something different. Um, and I believe that Jeff maybe even started playing with Hades for a little while. Um, I'm not sure if he ever, I don't think he ever recorded with them, but he played live with them for a little while. And, you know, he was, he was more of a, uh, progressive technical player. Um, and we were more about just kind of, straight ahead raunch rock feel and it didn't necessarily work out perfectly so that kind of you know that was a little bit of a setback um after yeah so after yeah so after jeff left we brought in um another guitar player named chris altamar or we call him altamare um he and he had a, a yet again a different style another style so it was more of a you know, uh, Warren Demartini kind of rat guitar player style. He was Chris was a fantastic player, and uh, we wrote uh, a couple of songs together, which to this day I still absolutely one hundred percent love. So, um, you know, that's. But then we knew Restless wasn't really for us anymore. We were changing, so that's where you know we we got a, a management company. Um, Pandolfi Schroen Management, um, and they, you know, started pushing us, and we were going towards the glam side of things, and you know, that's when we were Dirty Blonde, and uh, and uh, you know, that actually took off for a while too, and then of course, you know, another setback again after that. So yeah. it's it's the story of music, but you know, as the decades wear on, you know, a couple of years ago, you know. I, we hear about the Unearth, the compilation you guys put out on your own, with all those older yep. songs on there from the, back in the day. Was there anything else recorded by you guys that you hadn't put out yet, or was that pretty much the whole you know restless catalog? Well, that, at that time, so I, let me let me ask, understand your question. Um, with the stuff that we put out in, the, in 2019, that, that the eight songs that we did then, was that all of the Restless songs? Is that what you're asking? Yes. Was that like all the music that was recorded as Restless? 
we there's probably i think there's one more tune um the problem was for me and reason i didn't put it out is because the, the the recording of it was um i couldn't i couldn't remix it and when i when i put these out in 2019 um these i was able to re- remix most of those songs um and the ones that i didn't they were good enough to leave it they, the way they were because those songs were mostly demo songs. Um, and I, there is one song uh, called I Need It Badly that is still a possibility that I might put out um, if I can do a decent enough job of, uh, of getting it sort of remastered uh, as opposed to remixing. Because I only have a two-track. I don't have a... Uh, you know, a master track of that song, and that was the reason why it didn't, it wasn't put out on that. Got it. You know, as the decades went on, yeah. like I was saying earlier, did you think people kind of forgot about Restless? You know, 2000 calls, 2010, yeah. we're in the 2020s, and did you just say, you know, nobody remembers my old band? Oh, yeah. I mean, of course. I, you know, when you start, you know, when it goes far enough time away from, from something, you start thinking, well, nobody's going to remember that, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, yeah, of course I didn't, I never thought that I would be re-releasing any of those songs. Um, but in 2004 I had gotten, um, I I forget, I I think it's somebody had tried to contact me via email, um, back at that time and was interested in trying to get a copy of the 45. And I said, you know, sorry, I, the only copy I have is my own copy, which I was, you know, certainly going to keep. And I also, I also own the, um, you know, the original master of it, uh, 45 of that. And he's like, oh, man, I would really love to be able to get a copy of that. So it made me think, you know, if there's one person out there, I think this person was from San Diego. There's, like, if there's one person, there must be more. So what I did is I, I I made a compilation of a lot of the different stuff that I had put out over like a 20-year period, uh, and I just called it Kurt uh, Diary of an Unsigned Rocker. I released <laughs> it on CD, yeah, in 20 in, uh, in 2004, and I sold a decent amount. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that at one point we did a um, as Dirty Blonde, we did a version of the song uh, Hot Child in the City. And so when people were probably doing a search or, you know, I, I can't remember in 2004 exactly how people could find music at the time, out of, you know, at, at this point, if it was, you know, just downloading, free downloads, all sorts of stuff. I can't, I can't remember at this point, but um, I put it out there and yeah. And so um, I think that's, you know, a big reason why that CD started to, to, to find its way into, into diff- you know, people's homes. It's true, and then you know, uh, one of your songs appeared on a compilation a couple of years back. Then you have Heroes of the Middle Underground, which just came out, and you, you're in that book also. So now that you're getting yep. a little attention again, and things are shining the light on the band, do you, is there anything where you say, "Hey, maybe we should kind of put a lineup of this back together again," or is that not even an option? I think it would be very difficult. Um, we, you know, it's funny. Um, Jim uh, Cardinale, Kevin McCarthy, uh, you know, plays drums. Um, we we talked a few times and kept, we're still friends. We're all we're we're all still friends. Um, I had lost touch with Jim for a good amount of time, but Kevin and I have been friends for um, you know basically forever. And uh, you know he lives in Florida, 
um, has been down there for close to 30 years. And uh, Jim still lives in New Jersey. I live up in Maine. And, you know, so it would be difficult to do. We did think about trying to, 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 to get together at one point, maybe record some stuff and, you know, jam, jam to world stuff. But I think, I think just logistically it might be very difficult um, to kind of do. So what I've been doing more so is just taking a lot of our old recordings um, you mentioned, you know, you asked me if there were more recordings of wrestle stuff. Um, there, just just that one, but there are recordings of songs that we did under Dirty Blonde and under a thousand times. Um, I have probably twenty to thirty songs still from that period of time that I've been working on slowly to put out um, rest, a second wrestle CD. So anything that is going to be, even though they were under a different name. I'm going to release it as restless because I think it just makes more sense to try to, to have a little more um, uh, congruency, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and, and explaining in the, in the, in the liner notes that, you know, Hey, this was recorded as dirty blonde. This was recorded as a thousand times. This was recorded as the Sunday men. This was recorded as the Spoofer project. So there were other bands that I played in after that we were, we did some recordings and um, you know, so on and so forth. So I have enough for a couple of more CDs to be put out there, and you'll you would be able to see the difference in styles as it goes along. But some of it's still pretty rocking. I have to say, I, I can't wait to hear that. I'm hoping that you know there are so many reissue labels out there today that love to get a hold of stuff like this. They do an amazing yeah. job of putting out a product. Would you be interested in something like that if it was offered to you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, depending on w- what it is, yeah, I certainly would like to. Um, Anything that I could get the you know the the songs out there and and uh, you know I'm, I, I, this isn't about money not looking to make a lot of money or anything like that this is more about just getting it out out there as a document of my life and for you know my kids to to, to have um, you know forever you know sure it's a good Absolutely. thing you're not looking to make money because there is no money in music anymore. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's like an old wife's tale these days. <laughs> Uh, so there's one more book. I don't know if, if you mentioned this. Um, there was another book that came out last year that was put up by Alan Tecchio and Frank White. Did you mention that with the Jersey? Oh Metal? no, uh, New Jersey Metal. Yes. No, I didn't mention that well. one. Yeah, I didn't know you were in that book. Yes, we are. Um, uh, Alan had contacted me when they were working on, you know, putting it together, and he says, you know, he, he said he's like, you know. We are putting this thing together, Gina, uh, Frank and I. And, uh, of course, Frank had done some photos for us, so we were pretty excited to, to hear about that. And Frank went on to, to really some great – did some great photography for, for many different bands. And, uh, you know, Alan, of course, being in Hades and Nonfiction and, and uh, Watchtower um, and more. Um, you know, we we were all pretty close back then. And, and he's like, I want to make sure that I, I, I have Restless in there. You guys were a big part of, you know, the early Jersey – uh, 80s metal scene so I said absolutely so you know put some stuff together and we're in there as well that's a cool thing Kurt I'm going to let you go in a minute because yeah. I want to play another song I have another guest waiting in the wings to come on I mean, I'm such a big fan of the band for so many years and I cannot wait for you to get more of this music out for everybody to hear myself included and I know a couple of reissue labels I'm going to see if anybody would maybe want to reach out to you and work out something with you because it would be great to see all this stuff out on CD and vinyl it would just be amazing especially like after all these decades well, I appreciate that. Very, very cool. I did want to mention too, just real quick. I know you got to go. We are on um, a compilation called Scrap Metal, 
that came out a couple of years ago. It has the song The Power, and I think Don't Understand is going, you know, from, from the 45 is going to be on maybe, a, you know, a second release of theirs, but um, that's under Riding Easy Records, and, um, you know, that that came out uh, in 2021. So, yeah, people can find that as well. But we, you know, again, like you mentioned, we have, we have lots of other songs that we would absolutely uh, hap- happily uh, do something. So. Well, I'm hoping that we get it. Kurt, I can't thank you enough for being on here today with me. I really do appreciate it. I'm going to play Don't Understand next, and you have a great weekend, my friend, and what's left of it. All right. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you as well, and we'll talk soon. You got it, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. I want to thank Kurt for being on tonight. Let's get on I Don't Understand. Kurt, would you please come up with the board and do problem number 54? No. Eat shit.
by Christian wanted to hear Hammer, Prayer of a Soldier. There you go. And right before that, I don't understand by Restless. All right, we're going to get to Dennis Balt from Aggression in a few minutes. Before Kirk called in, we were talking about the Life, the life After Death Festival in Mexico that was canceled. Like I was saying, there were 70 bands on this bill. A lot of big-name bands, a lot of, you know, smaller bands. These are probably a couple of kids that are fans of heavy metal that wanted to put on a festival. How all these bands bought into this is beyond me. How they didn't secure a place to hold the actual festival until a week before, I, I don't get it. And I think it was last year. It was the Keepers of the Flame, another festival in Mexico that had to cancel because they had problems the first time they did it. Maybe instead of trying to throw a three-day festival and you've never thrown any show before in your life, maybe do a one-day show with a couple of local bands and maybe one or two bands from the USA instead of trying to do this in three days, they screwed over a ton of bands and a ton of fans. I'm sorry, I had to cough. Uh, you know, people have made hotel reservations. They bought tickets, plane tickets to fly in or travel to the country. They're all out that money now unless they want to fly into a desolate part of Mexico and spend three or four days they're doing absolutely nothing but eating tacos. You know, I, it's horrible. And then you have bands that scheduled other shows around the festival so that way they can make it worthwhile going down there, those are probably all canceled too. So, I mean, I don't know how these bands buy into like two kids putting on a festival in Mexico. They keep doing it. I mean, don't these people have management anymore that look into these things? But I can tell you what, if these guys, this thing gets postponed to 2024, I seriously doubt that you probably never hear from this thing again. And if it does, any of these bands that were scheduled to be on this festival that agreed to go on their next shift that they got fucked this time around, then shame on them. Shame on them for being a part of it, because stick with legitimate people that are going to put on legitimate festivals. That's what I'm going to say about that. All right. Let's get back to some music here before we get to uh, Dennis. So how about, I got a new Cobra spell. You want to hear a new Cobra spell? Satan is a woman. That's pretty true.
going to get the Dennis Bart from Aggression right now. Uh, Dave Overkill had a thing he had to take care of tonight. He couldn't make it on the show, but he'll be on here in two weeks. And next week, my girl Doro is going to be on the show. I love talking to Doro. I think this is her 14th time on the show, maybe even more than that. Uh, so we have Doro on next week, and we have one other guest, which I have to confirm the, tomorrow, but I believe it's a singer from Vengeance. I'll let you know this week when I confirm it, but I know Doro's in the house. I'll stick around for that. Right now, brand new aggression, Circus of Deception, and we'll talk to Dennis right after this. Mike, how are you? Hey, Mike. What's going on there? 
Are you mad? Let me try to get the video working. I can never <laughs> figure these things out. Hang on. I haven't used Skype in a while, so I had to uh, reactivate my um, Let me see. my Skype ID and stuff. So, uh, but I thought if I had a chance to to see you, even makes it even easier, man. It'll be better. I'll get it. I'll get it eventually. I've, <laughs> I got to find the button over here. Is that it? Uh, no, there you so... go. Uh, almost. Oh, there we go. There we go. Now I see <laughs> you. What's going on, my friend? Going on, man. Doing some. Uh, been doing a, a few interviews throughout the day, and uh, you know, it's always fun talking about metal and uh, and all that. So um, it's going well, man. It's going well. That's great. I was saying before, I had you on my show in the beginning of the year to promote the last record that came out. Now you're closing out the year with a new record. I haven't seen anything like this since Kiss was out in the 70s, putting out two records in a year. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, Other Than L. Like, I think they had their uh, the first Kiss and Other Than L in the same 74, right? Yeah, yeah. Almost the year then, between records for you guys. And they did it uh, with... Um, I think they did it again with uh, Destroyer and Rock and Roll Over. Yep, actually. yeah. Yeah. No, I know it's, we, we had like uh, like two album and an EP in less than a year and a half, so we're producing, man. Absolutely. I mean, were, were all these songs kind of written at the same time? You decided like to kind of split it up amongst a few records, or are you just that creative right now after like, you know, I hate to say this, but it's been almost 40 years of aggression. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, I do have like a pretty solid like bank of like songs that I can draw from. Like a lot of the stuff is brand new. Like, but if ever we need like two, three songs to 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 uh, recapture the vibe of uh, the old days, uh, I have about like eighty songs that were left over from that eighties period uh, that we can go and pick from and then redo it. Uh, so uh, yeah, like. Uh, the next al the next album after this one coming out in like a couple of weeks is already written, and uh, we're we're about to enter a pre production for that one. So yes, we're we're wow. we're, we're productive. <laughs> but but yeah. that's a good thing. And like you know, like you were saying, if you ever feel like you need to go back to something, you have a catalog of old music to draw from and kind of refresh and bring out again. And the thing is, is that you couldn't tell the difference between the older songs or the new songs because you kind of make it where they all sort of like you know mesh together. And it'll have that same vibe to it. So you really haven't lost any of that old songwriting ability like we you know, we kinda of grew up with in the eighties. But yet, you know, it's a whole new band today and a solid band at that. Yeah, like much better <laughs> like we, we well the guys that are in aggression now are much better musicians than what, what we, we started we, with. We, <laughs> yeah, these guys are like musically trained and uh with like uh you know, they went to school and all that. While the original aggression guys, including myself, were just a bunch of bums. <laughs> well, you always said you were a bunch of kids, a bunch of friends that got together. And you wanted to start a band, and that's how you know it came about. That that's it. There was no, um, we had no idea what we were doing, like zero, like yeah. no idea about nothing. So every day was a discovery, and uh, just. You know, completely oblivious of anything that was going on at that time. We just, you know, like it was very simple. Okay, Bot Venom, welcome to hell. I want to do the same thing. So, you know, get the guitars, right? Figure out the part with the vinyl and the needle on the record. And, <laughs> you know, no, 
nothing uh nothing too um nothing too uh you know uh complex about the way we did it we just like hey let's play fast loud and be as obnoxious as possible uh and we actually were pretty good at it <laughs> that you were i mean not to say that they were the bad old days but like you said you were younger you didn't know what you were doing you went through a lot of stuff with the, you know with the original lineup of the band or the the 80s lineup of the band but now, 40 years later, with such a talented group behind you right now, I shouldn't say behind you because you guys are a group, you play together, but, I mean, these guys are really talented, and it, it seems like it's a whole new vibe right now with this band over the last 10 years or so. Yeah, like, it, it's um, it's kind of fun to, to, to uh, being able to, like, envision, like, music and then mix it with people's input and then the, the, the final product, what it is, right? Like, you... You, um, you know, it's 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 my favorite thing about music. It's it's the creation, the writing, working as a group, and then creating something out of like thin hair, like that's gonna become songs that people will listen to and hopefully appreciate. Um, but that's by far my favorite. Like, I the touring, <laughs> I like playing live, but like the touring is like you know, 95% driving and dealing with shit, like yeah. nonstop, and 5% rocking. <laughs> like, you know, uh, so, so we, um, I, I really enjoy that, like, creativity process, uh, the studio time, and then listening back to the mixes and all that. It's, it's by far my favorite activity. So that's probably why we're, we're, we're productive, because it's, it's got to happen. We need it. Like, we crave it. We want to hear new music. We want to see us improve. And, and um, you know, so so in the end, we just, we just do what we love and what we believe in. There's no there's no, there's no recipe or, or um, there's no level of success to be measured. I'm 57 years old, right? And, and the fact that I'm still doing that is, is it's, it's a feat in itself already. True. Uh, Very the, true. The rest, yeah, the rest is all like gravy and then whatever on top of the potatoes, right? So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, like we're just enjoying ourselves and uh, the, the the kids and the band. I call them the kids. Uh, they do act like kids sometimes, but uh, you know we're having such a such a, a fun time doing it. Did they keep you on your toes, or do you wish they would kind of slow down a little bit so you can keep up with them? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. Like I, I, they keep me on my toes from a technical uh, um, and uh, uh, performance standpoint of standard of performance. Uh, but when it comes to uh, excess of life slash uh, intensity and speed of the music, I, I, I can still match them. Yeah. I can, I can match them pretty good. Uh, but from uh, from a tech, you know, they, they explain to me back, like, you know, they'll be like, oh, this is that time signature. This is what you're trying to do. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm the guy who would go to Meshuga and be like completely like, what is going on, right? <laughs> uh, when, like, in my heart, everything is like Ramones, Motorhead, simple, like, straight in your face, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, these, these guys are... are they understand uh, music at a higher level um, than, than what I do. And for me, it's all feel, right? So it, it's all about, hey, this part makes me feel something. So let's let's keep it. Oh, this one's too 
mechanical. Let's remove it, right? Uh, so the same as when you, oh, I was listening to the new, um, uh, the new uh, Dying Fetus, and I don't know why, like that album compared to other that there's so many good death metal album, right? Uh, like been released this year, yeah. like, but that one and the incantation somehow to me, I press play in my truck more often than the other ones. Like, no reason, it's just how I feel about it, right? Uh, so it's similar in the past, you know, we used to be kids and buying cheap trick at Budokan and. Uh, <laughs> Why do you put uh, Double Life Gonzo more than that one? You know, like it's all a matter of feel, you know, and, and taste. I mean, it's like like it's like you were saying before about you know the guys in the band. They're very technical with certain things, very like mathematical when it comes to music. And you have some great plays that play that way, but you know, it also is all about feel and about heart and soul and what you put into the music. There are guitar players that are amazing that couldn't take one note from another. They just know how to play. They have a feel for it. And they know what it's all about. And you get good and bad from both. Well, that, that is like I, I mean, okay, I, I say I'm all about like you know, like uh, I talk about Ramones and Motorhead and things like that, but I do listen to a lot of prog, like Emerson, like and Palmer, and yeah. Yes, and uh, you know, a big fan of like uh, Steve Hackett uh, and and the new stuff he does, and like from Genesis and all that. So like I, I mean, I I'm. <laughs> I'm not completely uh, uh, incapable of listening to to things like I love Frank Zappa as, as an example, and it's probably one of the most complex music ever Absolutely. written ever. <laughs> but it, he does it in such a like uh, kind of a debonair, like I don't give a shit kind of like you know like uh, attitude that it makes it pleasant to understand to the completely insane, complete insanity. Going on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Dennis, before you were talking about like you know playing live and like you're saying it's like like 20 hours of work for like five minutes of joy, you know, because there is a lot that goes on to get to a show. There's you know, especially with you in Canada. I mean, you know, going from one end to the other could take you about a week and a half if you're driving sometimes. But it's a lot of work to get to a show. So do you prefer? Is it easier or better to do like one-offs here and there where you're not so run down by the traveling part of it or is it better to go out for a week or two and just do one show after the next where you're you know driving playing driving playing um i think like um i think like leaving your gem space with a van and a trailer is and your your own equipment your own guitars your merch and all that is much easier than traveling by plane to do a one-off show like the airlines will ga- gouge you like we just played in Montreal and you know, like it, it's, it's 200 bucks to bring a guitar there and back one guitar. Yeah. Right. And so then you have at least four, like three plus a backup maybe. So that's like 800 bucks in guitar movement alone. And then, and then of course the plane ticket. And then you, you have to think about the merch. Okay. Do you bring merch with you? Do you bring vinyls and, and, so then that's an extra $200 if you want to bring CDs and vinyls and all that. Then another 200 bucks if you want to bring uh, hoodies and T-shirts and things like that. So you're already looking at like uh, $1,200. Yeah. You, you haven't even played yet. It's crazy with uh, the money behind it. And the airlines, you know, like, you know, they see a bunch of guys with long hair looking like, 
you know, riffraffs coming with guitars and, 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 and stuff like, you know, and, and every time we go, it's never the same. It's never like a, um, an easy experience, right? Like Dave, the guitar player, they took his bullet, uh, bullet uh, belt, belt as an example. We've been traveling all over the world with that belt. We've been on the plane like dozens of times with that belt. But this one time, this one guy at security says no. Right? So, so you know, like you, you try to, and it's just annoying stuff, right? They'll go, they like, they look at a, a tuner. What is that? It's a guitar tuner. Why do you need it? To tune my guitar. <laughs> like, you know, like. Yeah, they have no knowledge. <laughs> just common sense, like, you know, but they, 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 they really don't know, like, uh, they, 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 they make it difficult. And it's, you know, and Ben's, I've all our stories about, you know, their guitar being thrown around and bags and stuff like that. So at least if you drive from your jam space with your gear, okay, it's going to be a longer haul to like get out of like, especially we're in Pacific Northwest. Everything yeah. is like 10 hours, right? So, uh, but at least you got your stuff, you're playing on your equipment. You can bring whatever you want, and then you do it. Like for me, at least that way, um, I find it less um, less complex than uh, when you you travel uh, for just a weekend show by plane, which becomes extremely expensive for what you're gonna get out of it. Uh, but going to Europe, you don't have a choice, right? So yeah. Uh, but that somehow they they kind of better at like managing that because. The bands don't have a choice, um, so somehow the pro the process to go into uh, Europe uh, by plane is not that bad. But when you go like either even even within Canada, or uh, go to the United States, that the, like there's no like sometimes you go to security check and like okay keep your belt but remove your boots. The next yeah. one will be keep your boots, remove your belt. The next one will be keep both. Then the next one is remove both. So like they they're wondering like why are people standing in front of us not knowing what to do because there's no it's always different. Yeah, they change up every time. <laughs> so like listen to the conversation we're having. It's so remote from like rocking. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but that's you know, but it's it's part of the business. It's part of what you have to go through as a band. I mean, you're in Vancouver. It's a major city, but yet you do you still feel isolated musically? as a band well not as much anymore like i i think um you know seattle is two hours away and then portland oregon is like four hours so the three city kind of like yeah kinda like hang out together right uh but any if you want to go uh the east that's when it becomes like a, you know like a little bit more distance uh, we love traveling south. We love going to California and play. People there are insane when it comes to thrash metal. We love like Seattle and Portland and stuff like that. Um, but when you start going the other way, then you have to cross the Rockies to go to like Idaho or or uh, you know uh, Eastern Washington State or uh, Alberta. And then uh, after that, there's like the Grand Divide with nothing for a while. Um, so yeah, they, we. I think somehow in the past there was a little bit more of isolation, but I don't think it's as present. Like bands come here all the time, their shows all the time, and usually Vancouver is always on the uh, 
most of the time, if they're going to do some Canadian dates, Vancouver most of the time will be visited by, uh, you know, the touring band. So not as bad as it used to be. Yeah. I mean, you had a great year musically. I mean, with the new record coming out at the end of last year, you kind of promoting it and playing for it this year. You had a lot of shows lined up over 2023. I know you got a, a small tour coming up. I mean, so things are looking really good for the band as far as live performances go, new music. I mean, I think this is the busiest you guys have been in, in forever. Yeah, like uh, we, we got busy when we restarted the band, I think in 2016, 15, 16, 17. We did a lot of shows then. And then the pandemic kind of like naturally kind of stopped everything for us. So that's now we're like starting to go back on the road. Um promote this album so we're 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 pretty much looking at 2024 to be us playing shows uh our drummer ryan also plays with heaton uh and they're also busy as well um and then probably hit the studio uh late 2024 early 2025 to uh to record aggression seventh uh like lp yeah it's amazing that the majority of your records have come in the last, you know, 10 years or so compared to like back, you know, only one record in the 80s. But the 80s, like it says, it was a hard time for the band. There was a lot going on. But when you think about it, the, the bulk of your material has been over the last decade. The bulk of our material is definitely like uh, newer. Some of the songs we're playing, though, are from the 80s. Like on the new album, there's a song called Hyper Spectral Winter Incursions. Uh, which is was written like way back in 86 87 but with myself and our uh our uh our uh, our drummer that's no longer with us in this world <laughs> uh yeah. so gate and i we we wrote that song it's it's an eight minutes opus um uh, and um um i i've been dreading recording it because i wanted to do it right i wanted to do it justice and i wanted uh you know in in gates memory uh do it right and uh you know when ryan kept saying let's do it let's do it let's do it um then we we decided to do it and it turns out amazingly well um so similar to on the full treatment there's a there's the last song um it's called final massacre um it's got a similar vibe to that. It's not down tuned to be a uh, drop B like uh, um, Final Massacre was, but it, there's very similar uh, moments and moods and, and uh, textures, musical textures in there that really brings uh, brings a song like out of the of all the bunch of new songs. Yeah, I was happy when you decided to take over the vocals full time and officially some years back. I think it gives the band so much consistency. There've been a couple of singers over the you know the four decades of the band, each one bringing a different sound and style to it. But I think your voice kind of fits where the band should be today, and I'm happy that you know you took over the vocal duties. Yeah, I think it it maybe sounds more like what the original band was, like closer, like you know, like I don't know, like if I still have when I sing, I. I don't hear that French Canadian accent as much as on on the old <laughs> records. Uh, I think the English is a lot better. But uh, and nothing to 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 take out from uh, Brian Langley, uh, who was singing uh, with us and uh, was a big part of the reason why aggression aggression returned. Um, he's always going to be one of my favorite uh, death metal uh, singer. Like, um, and I love the work that he did with Infernal Majesty and with Tyrant's Blood. Um, 
but yeah like it's just like the pandemic kind of brought all kind of different things and then he wanted to slow down and do different type of music uh, and he's being very successful with his band league of corruption uh which is more like a coc down uh type uh type type of band um and then i i at first i thought okay maybe we should try to to find somebody else and then i was like okay let's just i'll try it at least just like i find like with four guys and me singing um it's easier it makes the productivity of the music much easier to accomplish um and i'm 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 starting to enjoy it i i never respected singers my entire life i thought it was the laziest <laughs> job in the world show up with your microphone and just like hey what's up guys and just get drunk and don't pay your your jam space but uh then when i started to do it i started to have so much more appreciation uh for the the physical aspect of singing which you know breathing and then um it's a lot tougher than i thought it was uh but thank god like you know pandemic i had the time to, to practice uh and now i can confidently say that that's much easier live to to perform and uh, i'm actually enjoying it which i thought i would i i didn't know i would like it uh but yeah so that's that's uh that's how it happened but yeah i, I i'm having a lot of fun uh being the lead singer <laughs> that's good i mean it, it sounds great too and i really the new record is just amazing people are going to hear it in a few weeks it'll come out you know but you you're talking about brian you and brian played in cradle the grave for, I, I guess in between like one of the reunions of aggression and getting back together again officially in 2014 or 15 you guys had that band going i thought that was a really unique band i mean nothing like aggression at all but it was kind of relevant for the times what was you know going on musically you know the groove metal was taking place and a lot of stuff like that was happening and you guys kind of jumped right into it was it a whole different vibe for you to kind of start that type of band up um well i i you know like after aggression uh, i moved to florida uh with my dad and and i played in the skinner tribute band down there for for quite a couple years um so like i i but even when i grew up like uh, you know at my house you know in in the late 70s early 80s it's always been like ted nugent molly hatchet leonard skinner kiss you know, we listened to all that stuff. So when, like, uh, when Corrosion of Conformity went from, like, punk trash to to uh, to that Southern vibe, I really liked it. So I think it's a similar, probably, transition that happened to me in my head than what Woody and, and, and Reed uh, from COC went through uh, because the, the transition was not as hard as I thought. Because basically, it's the vibe of like if when you listen to Down and all these bands, it's a bit of Sabbath with with that that Southern uh, twang, right? So yeah, yeah. It, it, and the, but uh, you're you're right when you say that Cradle to Grave was not just that because uh, some of the songs that we use uh, for Cradle to Grave uh, were songs that we were um, that we were playing uh, some rips and parts that we were using in aggression in the 80s. Um, so so there was a little bit of a transition. And then um, it's, uh, I always want to blame King Fowley from the seas. Uh, <laughs> I want to blame him for everything. But like, you know, he contacted me and he goes like, hey, I love aggression. I want you guys to come and play at Defenders of the Old in New York City in Brooklyn. And uh that's really like and then with brian's assistance recruiting recruiting musician 
listening to the old material, I'm like, how are we going to play that? How are we going to find people who can want to play Green Goblin and all those <laughs> those crazy songs? And you know what? Well, well, Ryan and Dave, they were there like at the beginning. They've been with Aggression for 10 years now. And uh, they, they, were, they came one, two, three, four, and they played the song like we used to play it in the 80s. It was such a crazy... Uh, surreal experience to go from cradle to grave which is much slower and then go and rev up to like aggressions uh speed and delivery um so I, I think it was not that much of a difficult uh transition to go from aggression to to cradle to grave but it was difficult to go from cradle to grave to aggression because it, it's easier to slow down than to speed up yeah uh, so to go back at that speed and now we can just like now we're definitely like in our in our cruising altitude. We can we can pretty much go as fast as we want to at this point. Especially with Ryan on drums, he doesn't have a limit. You know, sometimes we have to ask him like, dude, like, you know, can you please let us some room to play our notes? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing, but and you know that show in Brooklyn at the Defenders All Fest. That was the first time I got to see you guys live after being a fan going back to the 80s when the band first started. So that was like a thrill for me. You guys just were amazing that night. And I'm hoping that you get back to New York again soon. It would be great to see you guys live, especially playing all this new material that you came out with since then. Yeah, we, we well, we played at the Rage of Armageddon uh, Festival in New York last year. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, 2020. And so, but we, we, and we were supposed to go again um uh but then it didn't happen uh, we had problem with paperwork and all kind of things like that um but like we we're, we're hoping to go back into the area uh either in the spring of 2024 or fall 2024 but more likely we're going to go in probably May June uh we're going to come back to the New York area That'll be great. I'm going to be there, Dennis, because I can't wait to see you guys live again. I'm going to let you go. I know it's not it's not too late where you are. It's getting a little late over here. But, man, Frozen Aggressors, you did an amazing job on this record, my friend. December 1st on Massacre Corrected. At the pace you're going, we'll be talking again in about five weeks for the next record. All right, my friend. <laughs> if you need me, I'll be there. You got it, buddy. Take care. I'll see you when you get to New York. See you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.
Kurt for being on tonight's show. Don't forget to tune in next Sunday night. Doro Pesh and I just got the affirmation. Paul Colley of Vendetta will be on, so don't forget to tune in then. We're going to wrap it up here tonight with one more tune. How about we do some Dark Angel, Merciless Death. Take care, everybody. Have a great week, and I'll see you next Sunday.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.